entrepreneurs, small business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. Welcome to the Business Builders Show. This is where we inform, educate, inspire, and entertain our audience of entrepreneurs, small business owners, and professionals who seek excellence. My name is Marty Wolf. I am your host for the Business Builders Show. Joining me in the studio is my executive producer, Mr. D.C. Taylor is with me. Hi, D.C. Hi, Marty. Glad you're here because I couldn't do it without you. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I appreciate it, man. My special guest today is Mr. Joel Peterson. Hi, Joel. How are you today? Good morning, Marty. It's great to have Mr. Joel Peterson, and let me introduce him. He is the chairman of JetBlue Airways, which was founded in 1999, is now the fifth largest commercial airline in the United States. Joel Peterson is a consulting professor of management at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, where he has served on the faculty since 1992, teaching courses in leadership, entrepreneurship, and real estate. A 2005 recipient of the Distinguished Teacher Award, Joel Peterson has also served as a director at Stanford Center for Leadership Development and Research and as a member of the Dean's Advisory Group. Joel also serves as an overseer at the Hoover Institute, and he has written a great book that I got on a Friday. I devoured it, and on a Monday I contacted his office and said, Joel Peterson should be on the Business Builder Show. The book is entitled The Ten Laws of Trust. The subtitle is Building the Bonds that Make a Business Great. So, Joel, again, thanks for joining us on the Business Builder Show. My pleasure. And you don't get a lot of credit for reading it over the weekend because it's a short book. Oh, well, gee, I, I'm already behind the curve. I'll, I'll, try to make, I'll try to make up for that, Joel. <laughs> but it was a busy weekend. Give me a little slack, Joel. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, the 10 laws of trust, building the bonds that make a business great. So let's start with you. So your life, you say in the book that your life is a testament to the power of trust. Do you have some examples of that on how your life was and your career was shaped by uh, trust? Talk to me about that, Joel. Yeah, it starts for me with as being a kid. I was the oldest of five children. My father was a college professor. My parents trusted me uh, to make decisions, to uh, live with results, to get jobs, to put myself through school. And um, I was trusted by my parents or by my friends' parents uh, to sort of be an example to their uh, kids. And so I was. I, I kind of served as a chaperone. I got kidded for being 40 <laughs> years old when I was 12. <laughs> you were the, always the one in charge, huh? Even at that young yeah. age. <laughs> at, a, at a very young age, people just trusted me, and, and you know, trust builds on trust. Yes, and, uh, and yeah. so and that carried on through business. I, I found myself in uh, in fairly responsible positions very early on in my career, way beyond my abilities or my training. Yes, but I think people trusted me, and so. Uh, you know, it, one thing built on another. Well, let's describe that career. It's a very prestigious career. To describe it, give us the uh, whatever version you'd like. But very interesting uh, background. <laughs> yeah, so I started out in on the French Riviera, working uh, for Trammell Crow, building buildings. And uh, shortly, the world, the real estate world, melted down, 
and uh, I was pulled back to the United States to become the treasurer of a company that had no cash. Okay. So treasurers don't have much to do when there's no cash. <laughs> yes. And the chief, the chief financial officer left, and so they plucked me into the role of chief financial officer. I think I was all of 29 years old at the time, and I uh, ended up spending a couple of years reworking debt and uh, learned a lot about the power of trust. If people trust you in a, in a turnaround, in a workout, you can get through it. If they don't trust you, you won't get through it. Mm. So, um, so then uh, I eventually became uh, the managing partner of Trammell Crow Company and then uh, started teaching at Stanford Business School. I formed my own uh, private equity uh, business. I did, started a venture business. I uh, started a real estate investment fund and um, have bought a number of companies. Actually, we've bought or invested in almost 200 companies over the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been on maybe 35 or 36 boards wow. over the years. So you have experienced this thing that we are calling trust. But, you know, I'm going to say that we say that word and people are going to come up with different visions in their head. So for the sake of this discussion and the uh, around your book, how, how do you define trust? Let's lay that as a, as a foundation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That people have different ideas of what it is. A lot of people think it's this sort of warm and fuzzy feeling that you have when you like somebody. You therefore trust them. It's a much harder-edged concept. You should only trust people when they have character, competence, and the authority to deliver on promises. And so you may like them or not like them, but those are really the elements of trust. Mm. And uh, so it's, it's something that you can work on, you can get better at, uh, but it's, I, I make the point that trust is actually more powerful than power. It's more enduring. It allows mm. for more innovation and flexibility, but it's a hard-edged concept. So, so I want to go back to those three words. Repeat those three words that are foundational. So the first is character, you know, okay. and that means that somebody has your back. You can rely on them. They have integrity. Uh, the second one is they're competent. There's no point in trusting somebody to do something just because they're high character. If they don't have the competence to deliver, uh, you shouldn't be trusting them. You, you wouldn't trust your mother, who you do trust, to fly an airplane to London uh-huh. because she's not competent to do that. Uh-huh. There's no point in trusting her to do something that she doesn't have the competence to do. And then the final thing is authority. If you don't have authority... To deliver. I can ask you to, uh, I can tell you, uh, look, I don't want to pay taxes this year. Well, if you don't have the authority uh, to keep me from paying taxes, there's no point in trusting you to do that. You may be a competent tax lawyer, you may be competent in all kinds of ways, have high character, but if you don't have the authority to change the tax laws, there's no point in trusting you. So you really have to have all three conditions yeah. present Make- uh, to trust somebody. Makes a lot of sense. And so you're, you're, it's, I guess that's the basis to the next question that's on my brain. And it's like, uh, okay, so um, I, I guess it connects to like, who do you trust or whom to trust? And then also in the context of when, like, how can you figure that out? I mean, I guess character, competence, and authority is certainly part of that. But do you want to go a little deeper on whom to trust and, and when to trust them? Yeah, uh, so I, I think that is probably the most important question we have to answer in our lives. Okay. Uh, because when, when we marry, when we do, I mean, all the really important decisions in our lives come down to taking this leap of trust. And so a lot of it, we do a bunch of research, we do reference checks, we trust our gut, uh, we actually think about it, we analyze these sorts of things, and then we're going to make mistakes. If you trust, you will be betrayed. I mean, mm. betray- there, there is no betrayal without 
trust first. Mm. So you just have to you have to put in the calculation that there will be a certain percentage of the time that you will experience betrayal if you're going to trust. Mm-hmm. So the equation is, you know, are you better off trusting and risking betrayal or being wary about everything, double riveting every contract, making sure everything is buttoned down, never trusting a soul. You'll get very little done. You'll mm-hmm. have very little innovation. You'll have very little flexibility and in uh, relationships, but you probably won't be betrayed. Hmm. You'll just have a, live a much smaller life. Boy, that what a great point. You have to go first. You have to extend that trust at some reasonable point, right? And, exactly. And, you have to take, exactly. And, and you do it in small amounts. You okay. Know, you trust a little bit, and then as people deliver on that, then you trust more. And, uh, and you, you kind of you empower people uh, a transaction or an action at a time. There you go. So it is not uh, it is not flip a switch. You are now trusted. Exactly. <laughs> There's more to it than that. We all have to earn this as we go through, as we do in a marriage, as we do in any kind of relationship. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it makes sense. Um, now this whole idea of trust. Um, I have a good friend, uh, John Rogers, who is a, a Dale Carnegie uh, franchise owner, and he talks about these same kind of concepts. And so when I talk to John, I, I say to him, well, "Okay, well, where does this start?" Does this start at the top, or is this someone on the loading dock? Uh, is this a baggage handler? Where, where does this whole idea of building trust in an organization, where does it start? Do you have advice on uh, I think it's all, it all starts individually with human beings and their interactions one with another, but organizational trust starts at the top. Uh-huh. If you're going to build a high-trust organization, it starts with the integrity of the leaders. It's very, very tough to build a high-trust organization if you have low-trust leaders. Uh, they become very political. It's no longer the best idea wins. It's the most powerful person wins. People spend their time covering their backs, uh, uh, sharing rumors at the, at the water uh, cooler. Uh, and and you, just, you, you can't build high trust yeah. if the leaders aren't trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah, well, well let's address this because... Um It was probably more prevalent years ago where people had, primarily, let's talk about executives and organizations. They had one life that was, I guess I'll call it home or away from the business. And then they had another life that was in business. Is that right or wrong in terms of building trust? Can you have have two different lives? That's the question, I guess. Well, I think it's very tough to be trusted and have that. Today, information is available everywhere and people are smart. Uh-huh. You know, we live in an information age, and uh, so I think that to compartmentalize one's life and to expect to be trusted uh, when you're violating trust in one compartment and then telling people you have integrity in another, people are too smart for that. Yeah. They're not going to fall for that anymore. So I think you really do have, have, yeah. to have integrity. You, you talk a lot about, and in the, in the book, and again, my guest is Joel Peterson, and he wrote a great book called The Ten Laws of Trust, and the subtitle is Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. And I may also want to mention that the foreword to this book was written by Mr. Stephen M. R. Covey, and uh, his book is The Speed of Trust. So you've collaborated and, 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 and talked with Steve, Stephen about different topics, I suppose, right, Joel? Well, yeah, we didn't mean to collaborate on this. It's just that I was the vice chairman of the Covey Leadership Center when Stephen stepped into the role as CEO. And so I kind of became his coach. And uh, we spent a fair amount of time talking about these various elements. And trust was one of them. How do you build a high-trust organization? 
Yeah. And uh, I think it probably had some influence on him. And then uh, as I developed in my career, I thought, you know, I ought to write down what I what I told him over the years. Yes. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> you know, and Joel, what I really liked about the book, I'm, going, I'm, I'm probably going to go off topic a little bit. I'm going to vent for a second, if you'll allow me. Please do. Or, or we can edit out later. But you know what? What I really loved about your book, you obviously are a very brilliant, insightful leader slash uh, executive. This This... The straightforwardness of the book is what really got me. Ten laws of trust that you explained and that I understood and that there was no intellectual, um, I'll call it gobbledygook. Okay, now I'm going off topic a little bit, but I I take that as a compliment because I mean it as a compliment. Well, I do take it as a compliment. and There's a quote I love by Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, I would not give a fig for the simplicity this side of complexity. But I would give my life for the simplicity, the other side of complexity. Uh, and the reason I love that quote is because as a practitioner, as somebody who has to get stuff done, if it isn't simple, you can't get it done. You cannot manage something through an organization if it remains complex. Uh, so you have to get to the other side of complexity. So yes. the topic of trust is a complex one, and the ways that you manage it are complex. But I think until you boil it down into its simple essence, it's very difficult to execute and really build a high trust culture. I think that is so, uh, so right on. So, de- well, you know that, and, and I've read the books and I've experienced a lot of different things, and so uh, that is so, so solid. So, I guess that's probably the foundation to, to my next thought is okay, so uh, as the top, we, uh, we understand these things, we're learning these things, we're learning um, uh, have high character. Uh, so, how, does, how do we, I guess, cascade that or empower employees? And which ultimately, Joel, this does have to do with a return turn on investment and profits, correct? Absolutely. It translates. It, it may translates. not translate immediately, and it may not translate in every single instance, but over time, the ups and downs in an organic, dynamic world, this is really the only way to secure yourself. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it does, uh, it does cascade, and, uh, and I call the second law of trust respect. And, um, and I actually think that that's, people pick up on whether or not they're respected. And if you don't show respect, and that includes to customers, suppliers, lenders, uh, investors, broadly, you have to show respect to other people. And a lot of that means listening to them. Yes. Uh, Listening to them without an agenda. Capturing what it is that matters to them and then integrating that in your thinking. And if you don't do that, people don't trust you. They don't feel like they're ever heard, like they're ever really respected. And so you can't cascade it, as you you say, through through an organization. Yes. Listening without an agenda. I want to get that right. Listening without an agenda uh, is very, very important. And the other thing I'd like to go a little deeper on is the idea of building trust with all our stakeholders. I think sometimes companies forget about the the vendors and, and those kinds of folks. Let's go a little deeper on that idea of building trust with all your stakeholders. Yeah, you know, uh, I think if you've ever been in a workout or a turnaround or things haven't gone well as a business leader, you realize that you're part of a community. There is a nexus. There's a, there's a whole ecosystem that you're a part of. And you may have been at the top of the ecosystem at one point in time, but you highly depend on them at another point. Mm. And I think that it's only if you build trust with all those people that you can get through these very tough times. So you may not be in tough times now. You may not need to do it right now. But I'll tell you, if you don't build that uh, 
when you don't need them, you won't have them when you do need them. Wow. <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, we'll, we'll, I'll oversimplify it, but what goes around comes around, huh? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, even, yeah, even, sure. even in big companies, what goes around comes around. So understand that and build trust and, and treat people with respect. Let's talk about the concept of uh, humility. How important is that? Is that one of your laws? It is one of my laws, and I actually think that uh, leaders who just show hubris, who know everything, are mistrusted. Because each of us is a human being. We live our own lives. We know some things about certain things that we're uncertain about others. And we can't imagine a leader knowing everything about everything. Right. So when they tell us they do, we become mistrustful of them. So I think a lot of times leaders think, well, I can't show any weakness. I can't show that I don't know anything. Well, I think if they get the idea that, look, we win as a team, I'm, I may be the coach, I may be the, the quarterback, I may play a certain position, but we win as a team, and therefore I can have humility. I can listen mm. to other players on the team. I can listen to other coaches. And that's the only way you're going to win in a sustainable way. But, Joel, that's a tough lesson for a lot of people. That's, it is very That's difficult. And now, how, how does – I'll lump it together. Younger people learn that lesson. How do they learn that lesson? Is that a mentor? Is that a coach? How do they learn the whole concept that you just described of humility? Well, people learn it in different ways. Um, some people have to have a comeuppance. You know, uh, something bad to happen to them. They have to fail and yes. really realize. I've seen some, some really yeah. great people go through very tough times. Yes. And say, oh, my gosh, I didn't know everything. There's yes. no reason that we have to learn every lesson on our own, though. I mean, yes. I, think it, I think one of the ways uh, that people don't do as much as they used to is to read. You know, study biographies. Understand the lives of these people. I have a plaque that I keep on my wall about Lincoln's failures. Lots of people have read this and kept it, but it describes, you know, like 22 failures he had before he was finally elected president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Probably our greatest president. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was derivative of all these failures, all these things that didn't work out, lost elections, loss of a sweetheart, uh, bankruptcy in business, and on and on. Yeah. And so uh, I think humility, not to have humility in the face of somebody like Lincoln, or you look at uh, Churchill and his reversal, look at these great leaders. They have had failures. They've had stumbles. They've had to overcome. And so I think not to start with that as an assumption is hubris. Yes. Hubris. Not realistic. And people who are smart, and that, and I include pretty much everybody that you're dealing with, has an instinctive sense of things. When they feel somebody who is not able to admit a mistake or you yes. know, listen to others, they mistrust them. And they should. And they should. I can see, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of um, the whole idea of listening without an agenda being directly connected to humility. You listen, Absolutely. and you're humble to know you can learn from just about everyone. Is that, is that an okay statement? It is, and I think the other thing is that you are listening to capture what it is they're saying. You're listening to really understand Yes. And I think until you start with understanding, it's very difficult to prescribe, you know, what should be done. And so you're going to learn from everybody. It may be that you don't like what you hear. It may be that you disagree with what you hear, but there's information. Yes. And, and I always say there's information in failure. There's information in disagreement. There's information in conflict. Yes. So information is power. And so you want to gather information. Yes. And yeah. that often requires humility to just listen and capture. Yep. 
Uh, wow, and you say that so clearly, so well in the book. I, I, again, I love the, uh, the the power of the book is the simplicity. I am speaking with Joel Peterson, wrote a great book called The Ten Laws of Trust, subtitled Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. Joel, if people want to learn more about the book and you, how would they people how would people connect with you? Is there a website or a, a, a publisher? How would people want to, How would you want them to connect with you? Well, so AMA, American Management Association, is the publisher. Uh, I think I do have a website. I'm, I didn't put it together, so I can't really quote it here on the air. I'm okay. sorry. Maybe All somebody right. can get it, get it to you. Uh, and then I think it's carried, I know it's, the book's carried on Amazon and, and uh, yes. in bookstores everywhere. Yes. And if people want to know uh, more about it, and I can connect you to Joel Peterson because I have all his information, just go to my website, which is MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com. MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com. Okay, I'm saving the most difficult question for last or towards the end of the show. Can because there's an awful lot of companies who have lost trust both with their customers, their associates. Can it? Can this be reversed? Can we? Can we change the tide if we if we've broken that trust? Yes, I mean that's the good news is there is redemption, there is recovery. Uh, the bad news is it's tough. Uh, it requires a big price. It requires determination, and it requires time. And, uh, and it's not always successful, and it shouldn't always be successful. In some cases, unless people have made fundamental change, uh, they don't deserve to regain trust. But mm. it can be regained. Um, I tell the story in the book about uh, JetBlue, and we stranded all these passengers on the tarmac for eight and nine hours. Uh, there were a lot of reasons for that. We could make a lot of excuses, but we failed. We let down our customers. So we had to regain their trust. And uh, David Nealman, who is the founder and the entrepreneur who put together JetBlue, uh, basically apologized, and then he came up with a customer bill of rights before Congress or anybody required that we came up with our own. And it cost us millions of dollars to do that, and we, you know, we've won, I think, 12 straight um, uh, J.D. Powers awards um, mm-hmm. because we really have sort of paid the price to regain the trust of customers. Yeah. So you can do it. Yes. Uh, Johnson & Johnson did with the Tylenol thing. So I think they're, they're mistakes that businesses make, and they can recover the trust. And it's, it, enti- it entails all the ten laws of humility, listening without an agenda, doing all the things that you uh, – character, so fundamental, and you make – you drive that point home very, very strong in your book. So we're, we need to kind of wrap up, Joel. Um what have I missed, or what point do you want to drive home in terms of the book or your philosophy? Again, most of the folks who listen, we have all kinds of listeners, but awful lot of small business people listen to this show, entrepreneurs. So, you know, closing thoughts, something you want to drive home. Well, you mentioned entrepreneurs, and I think in some ways they have a huge advantage because they have a clean slate. Mm. They can get the people on the bus they want on the bus, and they can usher people off the bus that they don't want on the bus. So they really have a clean slate with which they can build. They can kind of create a high-trust organization. They can have that as an, as an important objective. Many mm-hmm. times when you're in a larger organization, you inherit the detritus of many, many years of behavior yes. that, is, that will take many, many years to... To rebuild. Yes. So I, I think for entrepreneurs, it's it's great. Yes. Uh, the, the one point that I would make that we didn't touch on is this, is the importance of communicating. Okay. And I, I always say, boy, communicate in good times and bad. 
communicate bad news as well as good news, communicate more than you think you need to, because you can't build high trust if people read about themselves uh, in the newspaper the next day. So you want to you really stay in touch with people if you want to build high trust. Very, very uh, critically important. So Joel Peterson has been my guest. Joel Peterson is the chairman of JetBlue Airways, and he is a consulting professor of management at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Joel Peterson, thank you so much for being part of the Business Builder Show. Thank you, Marty. So another exciting episode of the Business Builder Show. Joel was a fantastic guest. And sitting alongside of me, I want to give a shout-out to my friend John Rogers from Dale Carnegie Training. So say hello, John. You don't, we don't have time Hi, Marty. to give a whole speech. But. It was awesome. I, I so much enjoyed uh, what Joel had to say. Yeah. Um, and, and how important trust is and how important leaders have to intentionally, purposely build trust. Intentionally is a key word those, there. So you have been listening to the Business Builder Show. I am your host, Marty Wolf. So on behalf of myself and Mr. D.C. Taylor, the executive producer of the show, thank you so much for listening and have an awesome week. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf.